0: Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Welcome back, or thanks for tuning back in. I'm Brian Schneider, the Hospitalist Medicine Section Chief at the Durham VA. This podcast is going to be a brief overview of the VA from background information about why the VA exists, how the VA is organized, how it gets funded, and how the Durham VA specifically fits into that overall mission. Most of this information is uh, background that I give our new hospitalist attendings when they start. First, a few basics. The VA was originally established in 1930 and became a cabinet level department in 1989, though its origins trace way back all the way to the Civil War, uh, with a different form actually existing after World War I. Its missions are to care for combat veterans, actually, also to perform medical research, and to train healthcare p- providers, which is why you're listening. The VA also provides backup care for the Department of Defense in the event of a national catastrophe. The VA is a national leader providing high-quality care. It actually beats Medicare and private sector quality uh, indices. And with its controlled cost, there's a strong emphasis on preventative care. There are RAND studies and also reports and articles published in the Washington Post and Forbes that speak to the high-quality care that's provided. The VA actually encompasses the Veterans Health Administration, which is us, clinics, medical centers, research, the training that we'd refer to. The Veterans Benefits Administration, which is like insurance, home loans, vocational rehab, the GI Bill, comp and pen, or compensation and pension that you'll hear about. And the smallest one is the National Cemetery Administration, which is burial benefits and maintenance of the VA cemeteries. 92% of the VA employees work in healthcare. The department is second only to the Department of Defense in terms of workforce size. Notably, as you'll encounter this when you're discharging patients, it does not include state veteran homes. They're a separate entity altogether. The VA trains over 80,000 healthcare professionals annually. Over half of physicians currently practicing have had some of their professional training in a VA medical center. Some of the notable research that has been done at the VA includes creation of the cardiac pacemaker, the CT scan, radio immunoassays, improvements in artificial limbs, the first liver transplant, and treatments for TB, schizophrenia, hypertension, and hepatitis C. So let's shift gears a little bit and think about some of the things that you'll encounter when you're practicing. Patients are going to ask you about benefits and service connection. Maybe you've never heard about that. So who actually qualifies for VA benefits? Most have served in active military, naval, or air service and separated under honorable or normal discharge. Can be reserve or national guard who've been called up to active duty to qualify for coverage. Generally, they need to have served 24 months or have a service connected condition. A non service connected veteran must be under certain income threshold, which is actually pretty low, close to the federal poverty level. So what is service connection? You'll see that abbreviated as SC in the chart sum. These are conditions or injuries diagnosed or sustained while in the service. For example, if you have an injury that results in amputation of a limb, that would be a service connection if it occurred while you were on active duty, say a mine or something. Similarly, though, if you were diagnosed with diabetes while you were in active service, that could also be service connection if you went through the Veterans Benefits Administration to get it established. Uh, and notably, to not to stress this too much, particularly if you're doing primary care at the VA, as this comes up, the percent disability and the diagnoses are set by the VBA, the Veterans Benefits Administration, not the VA, as you know, at the doctors there, the VHA. Dependents, spouses, children are generally not eligible to receive VA medical care. And note, the care that cannot be provided in the VA will be referred to the community. This goes by various names, care in the community, choice, fee basis. And this whole aspect is undergoing a radical change, actually, with the Mission Act that was passed in June of 2018. It will come into effect in June 6, 2019, which will affect urgent care access, how we as physicians set up consults for specialty care and access for primary care. More to come for that. So how does our hospital fit in? Durham VA is one of 170 medical centers in the U.S. and Puerto Rico. The VA itself across the U.S. as well as uh, U.S. territories is divided into approximately 21 regions, which are known as VISNs, Veterans Integrated Service Networks. Durham is in VISN 6. Not that you would need to know this, but you might for OIT. It's facility number 558, region 1 if you're having a call to re-establish your CPRS access. VISN 6 also includes Hampton in Virginia, Richmond, Salem, and Salisbury, Asheville, and Fayetteville, North Carolina. Previously, Beckley, West Virginia was in our Visin, but no longer. Durham has two large HCC, or healthcare centers, Raleigh and Greenville. We also have SeaBox in Durham, uh, particularly the one on Hillendale Road. We also have a clinic out in Moorhead City. Notably, Durham and Richmond, again, in Virginia, are 1A tertiary care facilities for our, our area, VISIN 6, which basically means we have advanced specialty care and receive referrals from all the other VAs in our Vism. Durham does basically everything but trauma and transplants. Those go to other VAs or Duke. Richmond actually does do liver transplants, but they also do spinal cord injury, which will be important for rehab for some of our patients. We have about fifty thousand patients within our Derm Network. Fayetteville actually has a lot more, but it has a much smaller inpatient service. VA budgeting is weird. It's actually set in two years in advance, based on the number of our patients, how many clinic visits could be anticipated, hospital stays, patient comorbidities, etc. About fifteen to twenty percent of our patients have third-party insurance. We must provide the rest for our funding via the federal government. We cannot bill Medicare, or Medicaid. Uh, there's a rule about one federal agency cannot take money from another. The visit itself gets money from Congress then it distributes to all those hospitals in our group, Salem, Fayetteville, Durham. The VA uses the DRGs by the principal diagnosis and comorbidities, just like any other hospital to help set that funding. We also build clinic visits, and thus a patient may have a copay depending on their income and service connection level. Our budget is filled out otherwise with what's called Vera dollars which actually stands for Veterans Equitable Resource Allocation, um, which, again, is based on patient comorbidities and needs. And they actually assign this in a somewhat logical way so that spinal cord injury patients or end-stage renal disease patients have a high VERA rating, which means if you have a lot of those patients in your catchment or in your network, you'll get more VERA dollars because the theory is it takes more resources to care for those folks. What this boils down to and what is critical for us, our doctors, our trainees, is that your documentation is critical. If the patient is in stage renal disease, we've got to document it. If they have other comorbidities, we need to document it, because that helps justify how much care we're providing for our patients. Back to the service-connected piece, if your patient's asking you about this, some things to commonly know um, for some folks, Orthopedic injuries, combat or non-combat, PTSD is often service-connected, as you might expect, which can be related to combat training or, uh, sadly, sexual trauma, hearing impairment, traumatic brain injury, particularly for our younger veterans. From World War II or Korea, we see frostbite as a common one. From Vietnam, Agent orange exposure, which has been attributed to lots of problems from the development of diabetes, coronary disease, lymphomas, prostate cancer, myeloma, amyloidosis, parkinsons, leukemia, just to name a few. And then with Gulf War veterans, OEF, OIF, you have things like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, but also infections like leishmaniasis, tb, campylobacter, brucellosis, etc. Shifting gears a little bit from the patient specific access to actually how care is structured at the VA and for prime residents this is kind of important to hear. Every veteran should have a primary care provider assigned through their home VA. This is coordinated through what's called a PACT, which includes an RN, often an LPN, a clerk, and a clinical pharmacist. Notably, when you're prescribing medicines for your patient, the VA has a restricted pharmacy list basically to help control costs, but also to make sure we're providing evidence-based care to the veterans. Most prescriptions are mailed to the patient directly but they also have a pharmacy in our hospital that patients who are being discharged can go pick things up. We order our specialty consults, or services, I should say, through consults. This will be important to remember when we start to learn more about the Mission Act and how that impacts care because we may be ordering consults more out in the community. Veterans have access to their providers through something called My Healthy Vet, where they can order medications, they can view labs, radiology reports, and review documentation. So the veterans can read the progress notes we write or the daily notes or your clinic notes pretty soon after you write them. So just keep that in mind when you're documenting things. So what is located on the Durham VA campus? The CLC, you'll hear some old timers call it the ECRC, which is the Community Living Center. It has three floors facing Fulton Street, one and two are patient care, including an inpatient hospice unit, which our palliative care team controls. The third floor is geriatrics or GREC administration and connects to the main building. In the basement of the hospital is our radiation oncology. Ground floor is canteen, as well as the cafeteria, but also on that floor is MRI, the GI clinic and suites, where they do endoscopies and colonoscopies, mental health clinics, as well as IT services. In addition, education is down there, as well as the PIV office that we'll all visit. First floor is the emergency department, primary care clinics, specialty clinics, the police, if you ever get locked out of a room, dental clinic, the heart station, outpatient labs. Second floor is where patients go for prosthetics or PT and OT equipment. That's also where their uh, offices are. In addition, the clinical application coordinators, we call them the CPRS gurus, uh, reside on the second floor. Now, to the meat of the hospital, the third floor is radiology, as well as the IRU recovery unit. Similarly, as that makes sense, the cath lab is right on that floor, as well as the EP lab. The CICU or CCU is there, as well as cardiology outpatient. Moving a floor up, on the fourth floor is our surgery floor, where ORs pack you, the 4B pre-op clinic, the 4B overnight stay rooms, where procedural patients spend the night. For example, somebody who had hepatic embolization, or sometimes somebody who has an ambulatory um, general surgery or ophthalmology procedure. Also on the fourth floor, as it makes sense, is our SICU and pain clinic. The fifth floor is where urology clinic is, pulmonary procedures, the Bronx suite, as well as the you surgery offices, social work. There's a hospitalist office there, as well as some primary care offices. As we move up to the sixth floor is where our inpatient wards generally start, we have med surge on 6A, 6B, some um, resident workrooms, as well as hospice offices, as well as a conference room. Seventh floor is more of the same, except we have the PT and OT inpatient gym up there. The eighth floor is where the medicine office is. Um, This is where the ACR and chief resident reside. It's also where the medicine conference room is, where we have intern report, resident report. It's also where the medicine administrative office is, that help us out with, like, if our printer's not working, papers, uh, we're out of copy paper, or other things. Up on the ninth floor are the psychiatry offices, as well as inpatient psychiatry. You'll hear that referred to as 9A, 9B, or PARC. Finally, the 10th floor, neurodiagnostics, which would be uh, where patients check in who are coming in for monitored epilepsy, seizure hospitalizations. It's also where the sleep lab is, where patients go for overnight sleep studies or to have CPAP uh, equipment turn in or BiPAP. Probably also importantly on the 10th floor is the director's office. Mentioning the director's office, just briefly how our leadership structure is at the Durham VA. You have an ELT, or executive leadership team, that has a director, three associate directors, and a chief of staff, and an associate chief of staff, I believe. Uh, The chief of staff currently is Dr. Ken Goldberg, and our associate or deputy chief of staff is Dr. Christine Embler. The physicians come underneath those folks, Dr. Goldberg and Dr. Embler. And then further, each uh, section of physicians is divided into service lines, Surgery being one, medicine another, psychiatry, anesthesia, primary care, called ambulatory care at the VA, etc. Hospital medicine that I lead comes under medicine service, along with other medicine specialties like cardiology. Primary care is their own service line under ambulatory care. And that's all I was going to talk about. This is a good general overview of how our VA is organized, um, how our funding comes about how our Durham VA fits into it, and some general layout of the hospital and medical center. Certainly there's more details that you could learn about, but I think this is enough to actually start seeing patients and be able to answer basic questions that they might have. Hope you found it informative. Finally, the views and opinions stated during this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Veteran Affairs or the Durham VA hospital. Thanks.